Cars on Call is a different car podcast. Two car guy physicians discuss car topics from a perspective you won't find anywhere else. My name is Steve Schutz, and I've been publishing new car reviews for almost 30 years. And my co-host is trauma surgeon Stefan Moran, who has not only operated on countless car crash victims, but has also published research on car safety. Welcome to Cars on Call. Welcome to Cars on Call. I am Steve Schutz, and I'm here along with co-host uh, trauma surgeon Stefan Moran. And we got a lot to talk about, Stefan, but we don't have any audio today. We may have more. No audio today from Jack Roush. We, we got a safety topic, which we'll get to. Yes, we had a writer emailed and want to know if we could just kind of talk about uh, car seats for infant car seats. Um, somebody out there must have a kid, but um, so today, Dan, we'll t- I'll talk about infant car seats. Yeah. Do, do you remember uh, much about the infant car seat you rode in when you were? Uh, I'm a, <laughs> yeah, there was no yeah. fucking. There was no thing. There was there. Yeah, there were there were no car. And you can actually look up like car seats. And they actually, I don't know, who, somebody had this like metal option crib that you could put between the driver and the passenger on the front bench seat right yeah that was and then they had these little things that kind of clipped in the back to keep the kid upright but no we, we you know we slept on the back underneath the back window we slept on the floor you know you'd see commonly you would see kids standing up in the front seat between the parents little two-year-old just standing up on the front seat all the time and an yeah. infant infant car seat was your mom's lap Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's get to some. We'll talk about that. I'm, I'm psyched to hear about that. But there's a lot of news. Uh, I have, uh, as you as you know, uh, pledged to put in absolutely minimal effort in following anything battery electric. Uh, but even I noticed the Myers Manx reboot, the sand or the dune buggy. You saw it. What do you think, Stefan? Well, I. I- I got got mixed emotions. I think, you know, you're pulling up something retro like that. I mean, to see a dune buggy go by, and most people these days have probably never even seen a dune buggy, even know what a Manx dune buggy is. Our generation does. So I think, you know, our generation views it very differently. And, you know, it's not a dune buggy unless you can see a Volkswagen engine hanging out the back of it. Yeah. with side pipes and that's that was what a dune buggy was it was just this crazy thing and they were they were cooler than cool back in the day and yeah they're gonna do a reboot you know once again for your old guys like us the reboots bug us but i think i think the new people are gonna love the thing and i think they can sell they'll, they'll sell as many as they can make uh, we know that four-wheel drive two-wheel drive electric vehicles do great off-road but i think it it's for me, it's just it's not a dune buggy without the thing hanging out the back. But it's the retro. But you know, another way to look at it is kind of like the Fiat Jolly of this century. You know, for you listeners, the Fiat Jolly was this tiny little base off of six hundred, but they cut them up for resorts and they put like canopies across the top and they didn't have doors and they're just a little kind of like they were the golf carts of that era. And I can see, I can see the Manx being kind of like a little Fiat Jolly somewhere on somebody's property, just to I'm cruise gonna, around. I'm going to surprise you, Stefan. I am wholeheartedly in favor of this. The reason is this is not a vehicle that takes you to work or takes you and your family on a trip. This is purely recreational, and because it's purely recreational and it doesn't do anything productive, like again, take you and your family to Thanksgiving 
at an extended family's house or something like that, you know, two states away. And it doesn't carry you to work. It doesn't do any, any kind of productive. It's purely recreational. I actually like that it's electric. First of all, zero emissions. Those, those, the, you know, the Volkswagen engines you're talking about had no emissions. There's, there's no catalytic converters in those things. They are pumping out all kinds of pollutants and carbon dioxide and everything. Those things are pollution machines just for recreation. I love, I love the idea of an electric vehicle. You drive around the dunes. You're not polluting, and uh, it's fun. It's you know really it's it's going to be like the world's coolest golf cart in a lot of places too. Yeah, you know? yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know a neighborhood vehicle. You take it from your house to you know the club where you have dinner, or maybe to a restaurant. You're not on real roads. You're kind of in your subdivision, your gated area only. And again, it's electric, no emissions. Uh, I like that. Yeah, it'll be a little bit weird for me that doesn't have an engine hanging out the back. But hey, I got to get with the times, and um, we're going electric. And you're right, from an environmental standpoint, it's absolutely perfect. This thing was electric; it shouldn't be anything but electric. And they're going to sell them. I think it's. I think they're going to sell. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how many they're going to make, but whatever the number is, that number will sell. Um, speaking of sales, uh, we have some uh, the second quarter. Numbers are back, and uh, I looked at the six-month Ford Bronco sales. And, and uh, as you know, when we discussed the Ford Bronco, uh, I really dunked on them, not because it's not a good vehicle. It is, but it's like they, they can't seem to make nearly enough for demand. Uh, my neighbor, as you know, ordered his about two years ago, still doesn't have it. A lot of people are waiting. And I thought, all right, the ramping up production, uh, Q1 2022 was certainly more than Q for 2021. So I thought, all right, six-month numbers are going to be great. They're actually not that great, Stefan. According to Automotive News, Bronco's six-month sales 2022, that's the first six months of this year, 54,842. That is basically half of the Wranglers. Uh, they they uh, delivered 99,497 uh, Wranglers, they are not ramping up production the way they should. We, you know, two of us talked about this when we talked about Bronco about two months ago. It hasn't gotten any better. Do you think that's production? I mean, obviously, if the neighbor hasn't gotten one, they're they're ordered and they haven't been delivered, or yeah. is the demand not as great as they say it is? What do you think? Uh, I, I think it's production. I think demand is is they if they could produce. You know, the Wrangler sold you know basically a hundred thousand Wranglers. If Ford could have produced 100,000 Broncos in the first half of this year, they would have sold every single one. I have no yeah. doubt about that. So yeah. therefore, this is production. The chips, you know, there's the the big the big hill, Bronco Hill or something, Bronco Mountain, they call it. And there's still cars on there. There's still Broncos there. They're just not able to produce them. And uh, I'm just getting a little tired of this. Oh, we can't get the chips. We can't get the chips. Come on, man. Make it. By the way, why is uh, Stellantis able to get all the chips they need for the Wrangler? Yeah, good point. It's not like the well, Henry Ford made his own iron and steel to make cars. Yeah, well, you Every- should make his own chips. Or yeah. I don't know. Wherever Stellantis is getting it, they're getting it for the Wrangler. Ford should go to that place because I and honestly, I think it's more than chips. But the, for whatever reason, they are not able to ramp it up, and it just irritates me. Yeah. So I'm going to keep dunking on Bronco until Ford can get the numbers up. They should be, you know. I, I think they should sell the same number as Wranglers. I think there's there's enough demand for them to sell that many vehicles. So, so there. Anyway, um, 
Another uh, news note. Uh, this is this is kind of sad, but the Challenger, Dodge Challenger, and the Dodge Charger, uh, they're going to stop production end of December next year. So that's December twenty twenty three. I know you read about that too, Stefan. You happy? You're sad about this? What do you think? Well, I think Stellantis is the head of the game. Dave's decided that you know they're a global company. The world's going electric. We're going to be behind in the U.S. because of infrastructure as well as many other countries. But I think Stellantis is, wants to be first out the gate with this. And I got to, you know, chop a bot of them for bringing it on so quickly. It will definitely be sad to see. I mean, Dodge has been on a roll with these monster V8s and these limited editions, the Hellcats and the Scat Packs. And I mean, they have just really done it nicely for people in favor of big horsepower cars the last couple of years. But I think they're just trying to get ahead of the game. And rather than expending any more, any more dollars and energy on redesigning, they're just going to start ground up and switch to make the switch to electric now rather than in five years. So I, I can see it from an economic standpoint, but it does, it does break my heart, but there's some goofy things on that challenger. I know it's a concept car, but, there's some there's some strange ideas floating uh, through, but I think that's what a concept car is all about. We'll we'll talk about the concept car in a second, but the actual Charger and Challenger, I would call them the automotive or the car equivalent of the Forerunner. The Charger, the this generation of Charger has been in production since 2005. When it goes out of production next year, that will be an 18 year run, and the Challenger 2008 to 2023, that's 15 years. These are super geriatric vehicles. Oh, by the way, when they were produced, they were they were produced uh, they were created by Daimler Chrysler. When they were produced, they used the previous generation, so the 05, whatever the previous generation, which would have been the late '90s Mercedes E-Class platform. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So they used that for these. So it was it was an old platform. In 05, and here we are, they're going to go out of production in 2023. I would say kudos to Stellantis for keeping these things modern. Uh, they 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 completely keep them relevant. They have manual transmission, too. They have Hellcat engines, 700 horsepower, all the stuff that people like. I'll tell you another thing that nobody talks about. They have developed this car over the years. So I drove an early generation. Uh, this would have been a Challenger, probably 2010, 2011 early at Laguna Seca, and it was a handful, uh, just handled a lot of understeer, very unsettled around corners. It made me nervous to drive. And then just a few years later, that would have been probably 2014, 15. Um, I drove a Challenger again, Laguna Seca. And oh my gosh, it was so much different. It was way, way better, handled better, neutral, much faster through corners, much faster around the track. And uh, I asked the, the Dodge reps over there, What'd you guys do to this thing? And they said, we have been continuously working on the handling and in addition to powertrains. Uh, we've been working on this nonstop, but we're going to keep on doing it. That was pre-Hellcat. Uh, obviously, the Hellcat, that was another jump. So these things have been around, but they've been working on them. But they're old. I didn't know they were that old. I knew they were based off the old Mercedes E-Class platform, but I never thought about how old that was. Well, that makes all the more sense that they, they've gotten everything they can out of this. They've beaten this horse. And they need to let it go. And yeah. I can see that they just said, we're not spending more money on this ancient platform, guys. We're starting from scratch and we're going and we're going to make the switch to electric now. That makes total sense. Yeah, except that 
that you know it doesn't take that much money because they they paid for all the tooling and uh right. this this is a horse you know, it's an old horse that still sells <laughs> so uh let me just say very quickly uh it, this is a little bit of a eulogy stefan but uh the, the initial charger first generation came out in 1966 and they produced that uh until 1978 there was a second gen uh, that came out in 1975 which was an embarrassment it was literally just like the cordoba so if you type in like 1977 dodge charger you'll see what i mean it's a two-door thing and it's just oh it's embarrassing it really is embarrassing but the 66 uh through 71 72 ish that was a legit muscle car and uh challenger you know 70 to 74 that was legit 73 74 obviously powertrain weren't you know they were emissions choked but the challenger was awesome we all remember uh vanishing point the movie the white challenger driving around and and just a very very good movie but there's two vehicles that i'll just say quickly and i want to get your your input on this stefan that, that it was actually a challenger from 1978 to 1983 that was front wheel drive mitsubishi give me a break i, I can't believe they call that a challenger and then uh i want <laughs> i definitely want you to weigh out of this because 81 to 87 there was the charger 2.2 a little front wheel drive 2.2 liter dodge it was just absolutely embarrassing but there was a shelby version yeah, that was the 86 <laughs> Shelby GLHS. It was, uh, yeah, it was based on the Dodge Omni. No, there was the base charger. Yeah, they came out the Omni, the Omni and the Charger, right? They were um, based the same different platform, the Shelby, and it was called the Shelby GLHS. And it was, it was called the Shelby Charger. And the thing, yeah, it was front wheel drive, 175 horsepower. He put some shocks on it, but those were a period I think that most Shelby fans would kind of like to not delete that chapter from shelby history he put his name on a lot of crap that's why i brought then. it up i know i know i just <laughs> the, i've got a lot of books but there is nothing about carol shelby in that era on my shelves yeah and i think he would i i'd like to find an old interview where somebody like carol uh what exactly were you thinking when you let um them put your name on this car but that was just not a good time for performance cars in general, you know. And uh, I think he was, you know, like everybody needed some. He needed some pocket change, and then there you go. But boy, that was a, Yeah, that was an embarrassment. It, was, and it did not sell like the Mustang too, unfortunately, you know. But no, presumably, you know, because he did not. He was he was not involved with Ford at that time, and presumably he had a relationship with Lee Iacocca. Lee Iacocca you know was president of ford got famously fired by henry ford the second and went to take over chrysler so presumably he had a uh, relationship from the Le Mans days uh with lee iacocca and that's probably what happened but yeah you know people love talking about the shelby mustangs they love talking about the shelby cobras i don't ever hear anybody talking about the shelby charger or the shelby g a g l it's G L H S. Goes like oh. hell some more is what it was supposed to say. Oh, how about the Shelby Lancer? I don't remember that. was that. based off the Dodge Lancer, 1987. Oh, yeah, another, another just awful thing. thing. Yes. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do, but I, I assume it's it's a little bit like, uh, uh, I can think of a bunch of analogies, none of which are suitable for uh, this podcast, but... Uh, you know, you, you do something you regret, and your friends give you give you shit for it later. You're like, yeah, I did it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So right. you, you do it. You do what you got to do. I guess he did make, he made some money, of course. Um, but thankfully he moved away from that relationship and, uh, made some great stuff later, but, uh, ugh, that was not good. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So let's talk about this. It's a battery electric challenger concept car. It was just introduced at Pebble beach. We both saw it. Ugh. Let's, I'm, I'm, let's, just, let's I'm disgusted. Oh, I mean, oh, come on, dude. <laughs> I, all right. So let's, let's just, I mean, you know, put all aside. I know you're a huge Mopar guy and I'm just kind of laughing that this actually happened to Mopar before it's happened to Ford. Um, I know. We did the Mustang Maki. We kind of had that little trip up, but all right. First of all, the concept car showed, I think it's a nice design. It's, I would call almost evolutionary it's not radical new but i think the design i think it looks great i i do like how it's kind of swept back and that reminds me of like the later mock one mustangs that when they move the fast back from more of a notch back so i do like the looks of the vehicle a lot i like the front end i like the rear end i like the profile i think it looks menacing it looks like what a charger should look like well it's it, so, it looks it looks like a mix of Charger yeah. and Challenger. It's two door, whereas the Charger is four door. But it kind of has the the profile looks like the Charger. I agree with you. It's um, it's kind of right. It's kind of mixed. So I do like I, I do like the looks of it a lot. And then I like the way they integrated the spoiler in the back. And the more I started to read about, but I think this is just concept car hot air that they're they're blowing here some smoke and maybe not. <laughs> but I wouldn't put I wouldn't. So yeah, let's talk about the things that you and I are like kind of like uh excuse me so yeah so the first thing that really caught me off guard they got exhaust pipes that are going to scream out the sound of an inter internal combustion engine on an electric car yeah it's disgusting uh <laughs> i thought it was i thought it was just i thought it was outrageous it actually sounds a little bit it's like a synthetic it, it sounds like a synthetic muscle car engine uh so yeah. it it doesn't sound like there's a synthetic sound on the Porsche Taycan that is, it's an option, which I think is hilarious. But anyway, it sounds kind of cool, almost Jetson-y. Like Do you have to pay for that option or is it unoptionable? Yeah. No, you got to pay for it. <laughs> oh, gotta, okay. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, this is an option that you you you, you could actually not not get it, unlike the the GM OnStar. Okay. But anyway, it sounds, it's, it's, it's very kind of high tech. This doesn't sound like that. It sounds like an engine that's like synthesized. So- it's in between it's, an engine and the Taycan uh, synthetic sound. And it's called the Frat Zonic Chambered Exhaust. Yeah, and then I just thought that was I, I think I think that's just concept car. I don't know. Maybe not. Um and it maybe they may have to kind of do that in the first couple of years to appease people. And then I think it will eventually go away. But I don't know. I <laughs> Thought that was interesting, but you know the question. There's always been the question with electric vehicles: what sound do you give them? Because first of all, you have the electric vehicle has to make noise by regulations so that pedestrians, bicyclists, other car, other people see you coming. I mean, so the question is, what kind of sound appropriately fits the vehicle? I think it's got to be kind of some, some kind of high tech George Jetson Wizzo sound, you know. But I think pumping out something that sounds like maybe a v8 that it was or isn't i don't know yeah um, but they they got to figure it out 
I'll say this. I love the sound of a V8. I love the sounds of a BMW inline six. I love the sound of a Porsche flat six, particularly the air cooled one. But I've been, you know, absolutely disgusted that electric cars are silent. I drove a Tesla, it has great performance, but it's silent. I cannot honestly say I love the sound of a V8. I love the sound of a natural or a internal combustion engine. And I'm disgusted that electronic or electric cars are silent. And then when they give it a sound, get pissed off. <laughs> so, right. you know, I got to be consistent. And honestly, I think that I, I, I like the, the charger sound, whatever, frat, whatever it is. I like that better than the Tycon sound. So I, I'm okay with it, actually. I, I, don't, I don't want an electric car, but let's say it's 15 years in the future. That's all there is. And, you know, what I consider this, sure, I would. And uh, I'd want to have that sound more than no sound. Hey, let me, you know, the more we talk about this, more kind of this analogy I came up with. You know, in my bullet, I know you've got sport exhaust on your Porsche. Depending on my mood, I go from quiet to normal to sport plus to track on my exhaust, just depending, I guess, how nasty I want to feel that day. And I love the fact that I can change the exhaust on my car, um, the sound of the exhaust. So I think on this electric car, yeah, the more I think about it, we talk about it, I think there ought to be a you ought to have a multitude of choices because it's just software. It's just, it's just, you know, right. binary code. And if they're already going to put the pipes in there, yeah, I think that's actually, it's, you know, it sounded stupid, but now the more we talk about it, I'm the one who's stupid for realizing that I'm sure they've done marketing surveys and to get people to sell their Hellcat to buy this new electric one that's going to have form or whatever they do with it. Yeah, the fact that you can, no, I want it to sound like a 69 440. I want it to sound like this. I want it to sound like that. Yeah, I think that's, and the more I play with exhaust in my car, the more it makes sense. So, hey, I retract my initial statement. Actually, it's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's I mean, you know, it's kind of like the guy in the Matrix who's eating a steak and he's saying, I know it's not real steak, but I don't care. It tastes really good. So yeah. it's it's a little bit like that. And if it sounds okay, I'm all right with it. And I, I, I like your idea of, you know, you know, have, have like a Hemi sound from 1969 and, and you can, you can configure it or you want it to sound like a, like a Lexus LS 400, which had a beautiful V8 sound, which is kind of hushed, or you want it to sound like an AMG V8, which is not hushed. But, you know, you know, I bet you knowing Dodge, they will, um, they will put in some awful Ford engine that you can make it sound like, you know, they're always picking it Ford, leaving Easter eggs somewhere. And uh, that would be really funny. That would. By the way, you did a car spotting, I don't know, three months ago or something, the Dodge Durango Hellcat, uh, which was discontinued. It's coming back. Oh, really? The, the, I know they are going to have a bunch of limited release editions right. in honor of the V8 that they're coming out with. And did you read how Dodge is going to give lots of vehicles meaning a dealer is going to get a specific set number of vehicles and vehicle types. So you're really not going to be able to order the exact one you want, but they're going to, you're going to have a bunch of different models to choose from. And then they were saying the customer thing then can go find the one they want at the dealer. Kind of interesting. Maybe this is their way of trying to reel in people from writing up the prices or something. I don't know, but. No, 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 um, but speaking of, speaking of uh, allocations and, and numbers, uh, when they announced that they were going to come back with this Durango Hellcat, uh, there were some of those Durango Hellcat owners that were very unhappy because they made 3,000, roughly 3,000 2021 models. 
Uh, it was supposed to be the only Durango Hellcat, and they said this is a one-year only deal. And now they're going to come out with it again for another one year. Uh, so those people aren't happy because it's like, hey, wait a second, it devalues my my car. I guess you know, too bad for them. But yeah, they're going to make a lot of them. Uh, they're going to. It's almost like they're like, all right, we got to go electric. Let's go make some money. Yeah, can't blame them. Um, the other feature that it has is a multi-speed transmission. It says so you can actually like switch gears and make the sound perhaps i'm not quite sure exactly how that's going to play out but i think you know that's for old people like us we like the idea of the car switching gears and hearing the sound especially in a performance vehicle now you're talking about the electric right not the yeah the electric one yeah 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 the the new one the new challenger is going to have some kind of gear switching thing sound i'm not quite sure they didn't give a whole lot of detail but i well, here we are, you know, we're going to this electric future and nobody really knows what they're doing. So everyone's trying different things. Uh, some kind of gear thing. You know, the the Tesla Roadster had two gears when it came out. They're going to try different gears. Uh, they're going to try sounds. There's a lot of experimentation that's going to be going on uh, in the next few years. And before we leave the whole topic of electric, uh, I did mention that uh, the CEO of BMW uh, said last week that uh, they're going to slow down a little bit because they realize infrastructure uh, is strained. And uh, even with uh, electrics taking 5% of the market, it was it's up from two. They're, all of a sudden, people are having a lot of trouble finding chargers. And there's a lot of what you said, Jack Roush said, was foraging for electricity. So I think there's going to be a little tapping the brakes here. Uh, we'll see what happens with this charger, but or challenger, I should say. But, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a, a a a weird and and sometimes turbulent transition. What is I mean, you know, Ford quit taking orders on the Lightning because they can't get the raw materials to make batteries. You know, so so now we got a raw material issue making batteries, and on top of that, an infrastructure that's not keeping pace with a five percent market share. So yeah, we're going there, but no, not near as fast as the tree huggers would like. You know, uh, I had dinner with a friend last night, and he's not a car guy, and uh, but he he brought up uh, that he's got a, a Porsche Panamera, and he brought up the Taycan and said he drove it, and it was great. But he said, uh, "I'm not a car guy, I'm not a Porsche guy, really." But although he loves his Panamera, but he said um, the Taycan, he goes, "I just couldn't bring myself to buy it, just because." He goes, "I just think about all the raw materials." I uh, said cobalt and all that stuff. It makes me uncomfortable. I, I feel I don't like the idea of mining that stuff. And and you know it's a, it's weird that he he's a businessman, but he thought about the environmental uh, cost of it. He said I like the idea, but I'm nervous about can they ramp up production of electricity and then the these raw materials as you as you mentioned. Yeah, I mean thinking here in Alabama, every, if we had all electric cars, they'd be pumping out more coal to make. The power for them which you know basically if you have an electric car in alabama it's going to be powered by coal coal powered yeah coal powered hey uh pebble beach uh is happening and today is the concord but uh there were some very significant car introductions that i want to go through a few and and get your take on it uh one we were talking about earlier uh off the air and uh let's just start with that this new koenigsegg and it's very innovative transmission yeah, so we've mentioned Koenigsegg before in the show, along with Remac, that these guys, these two guys, are 
at the very, very forward edge of automotive and electronic technology. I mean, Koenigsegg's engines, his transmissions are just way out there. And he does some absolutely amazing stuff. And on his new vehicle, it's an automatic, but it can be, quote, unquote, a manual. And he has it. You've got a clutch pedal, which is really just a hydraulic cylinder that's collected to some electronics. And then you've got a shifter. But they're only connected. So it's, it's basically shift by wire. Yeah. So you're not actually changing anything mechanical other than the shifter or the pedal. And then the engine... The transmission then will change accordingly. So it's fly, like a fly-by-wire throttle. It's like fly-by-wire steering. It's like fly-by-wire brakes. Now you've got um, shift-by-wire. It seems to me, Stefan, I'm actually surprised this hasn't been done before because ultimately it seems like this is like a paddle shifter. And instead of using your hand, you're using your left foot and your hand together. But the, But you're actually having the same effect as pulling the right paddle if you're shifting up it's like a paddle shifter so why i'm surprised no one has done this before because again it's 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 using software and uh, an electrical system uh but also you know some hardware of course to connect your 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 clutch pedal and in your shift uh, lever with ultimately this 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 transmission, which is essentially an automatic transmission. It is an automatic transmission. Right. So if you can connect and make shifts using a paddle, why not use a clutch pedal and your and your hand? And the answer is I think they've done that or he's done it. Well, you know, finally you ask, why did this not come first? You know, I've driven cars with paddle shifters, and I just I guess it's it's me and my age. It just did not click with me. And when we drove on the Porsche at the track at the Atlanta experience, I never used the paddle shifters because the trans, the PDK was so damn good. I didn't need to. Some of my Lexuses had, you know, the automatic transmission where you could yank the shifter to the left and go up and down. I tried that a couple of times that didn't work, but I think, you know, for our generation, to me, it's the question you either drive the car or you operate the car. And with a car that's got a manual shifter, I feel like I'm, operating the vehicle i mean it's a different interaction for me i don't know if that that same feeling is going to go with the next generation that didn't grow up driving clutches i think it's really for our generation it's the last hurrah for the so-called manual transmission i would find that very engaging and i would actually probably end up shifting that car a lot yeah. Uh, more so than using paddles or right. the shifter and the center console. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, I should clarify that you can drive this Koenigsegg in automatic mode and not use the clutch and not use your hand, right. not use the gear lever. So you can if, be fully automatic, but if you choose, you can use the clutch and the and the, the shift lever. But yeah, I think I would use it all the time, honestly, unless I was in you know bumper to bumper traffic. And uh, I do like the idea a lot. I agree with you, Stefan. I've driven, I've test driven many, many vehicles over the years with the paddle shifter. I use it a little bit at the beginning of my week with the car, and then I kind of leave it alone after that. If I go on a spirited drive on a good road, then I do tend to use the paddles then. But I always find myself wishing that I had a manual if I'm on a good road and I'm using the paddles. I'm like, damn, this road would be great if this car had a manual. So, but most of the time, I mean, I, you know, you're talking 98% of the time, I don't use the paddles. How about 
an electric challenger with this shifting mechanism. How could now that would be something, you know, an electric vehicle, they don't need it. They only really, really, they need at most two gears. One gear typically suffices. You don't even yep. need two, but I think how cool would that be? I think um, it'd be cool. It'd be, it'd be a blast. I mean, if you think about it, if the car is for enjoyment and you want to have fun with it, I think that would be an electric vehicle that would seriously give, I would give some consideration to as a sport, a sports car, you know, electric sports car. Yeah. I think that would be because you'd be operating the vehicle, not just simply driving it. I think that. And uh, I think it is safe to say, Stefan, that a Dodge Challenger with that setup would be cheaper than a Koenigsegg. <laughs> yeah. what are they like five million four million to like two or three or four or five million dollars it's you know but the dollars i think the cheapest one is like three million you know the, the, so yeah they're they're ridiculously expensive but that you know the reason i like talking about koniseg and remac is is because of these things that they make like this this hydraulic transmission shifting automatic you know with shifter and a clutch pedal that's the kind of things that these guys do that this may not trickle down, but they think so much outside of the box in their super hyper cars that it's a technology that impresses me. You know, it's just not a, it's not like the Hennessy Venom GT, some 1700 horsepower, 300 mile per hour vehicle. It's just built to go fast. It's great. I mean, that's yeah, a cool car, but there's nothing in there that in my mind that is technologically as, as advanced as what Remac or Koenigsegg does. And that's well, what I like. That's why that's why I do that's why those two cars do interest me is the things like this transmission that he's done and Remax done a lot of other stuff as well. I think it's it's very compelling that you have Mats Remach in Croatia and Christian Koenigsegg in Sweden and Horatio Pagani in Italy. These are individuals who are almost mad scientists and yes. they have the vision and the determination and the will to make it happen. So you really have the distillation of the vision of three very unique, very gifted men, and you could buy it. And uh, is it cheap? No. The Remox started around two and a half million too. Uh, all those, all those vehicles. Number one, they're very, very expensive. All three of those vehicles are very expensive, starting at two or three million dollars, going up from there. And that's number one. And number two, they are all sold out. You cannot buy yeah. one. You get on a waiting list and you wait a couple of years. I, I, yeah, it's kind of cool that these these guys can do that. Yeah, they're the only ones that really interest me. You know, the Bugatti doesn't interest me. The the Valkyrie doesn't. All these other ones, the new Mercedes, the one. I did they, But these guys do interest me because of what they bring in terms of change to the automotive industry. And their ideas coming on paper. You're right. They're mad scientists in cars, making cars and yeah, some of the speaking, coolest cars out there. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the Hennessy. There is the Hennessy Venom 5 or F5 that was introduced at Pebble Beach. And uh, it has 1,800, 1,817 horsepower and it goes 311 miles an hour. Uh, that's a pretty good party trick. <laughs> you know, Hennessy has always been about speed. Um, yeah, I give the guy credit for that. He he makes he likes to make outrageously fast cars. And this is an engine they built themselves. And I listen to the engine on YouTube. It's a twin turbocharged, high revving American V8, and it sounds really good. 
and it's a beautiful engine as well. And so hats off to him again. But yeah, you know, but that's what he does, and that's his niche in the supercar world. He's not quite hypercar world, but there's, I guess there's, this, this is bordering hypercar. But uh, it's hypercar, and then and then there's one more I'll mention, and then I do want to make a point. Bugatti unveiled their Mistral Roadster, starts at five million dollars, and it's basically a Chiron with a little bit of a, a different front end. It's a Chiron Speedster. They chopped off yes, the top and the top. Yeah. And they're going to make 99 of them. They sold out instantly. Again, $5 million to start. Uh, so what What I'd say, they, you know, the Koenigsegg, the Hennessy, this Bugatti. Uh, there's also a, a new Rolls-Royce, the, the Phantom Series 2 that was, that was shown. What these have in common with the Durango, Hellcat, and these final year Chargers and Challengers, this era is ending. This is 1972. When the muscle car era stopped like on a dime. And I think at the end of 2023, all of these cars are going to mostly die. Not really, but it's not going to be as instant. But Stefan, what I'm saying is everyone is sensing that this is the end of an era and everyone's saying, all right, I'm going to buy one of these. There's no reluctance because people are saying it's now or never. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And it, we, we can see that. Look at Dodge. I mean, they're, you know, they're switching to electric. Everybody, especially the European manufacturers, are not going to have a choice. And in America, the American manufacturers are going to get tired of buying carbon credits from Tesla, you know, because they're right now they're having to buy carbon credits. They're going to make the switch too. It's just it's inevitable. It's it's coming our way. But you're right. There's yep. that's a lot of dispensable income dropping bucks on these last cars. But I think you're right. They know that this is it. This is it, and you had just have this feeling. Uh, it should be mentioned that this is a regulation-driven uh, switch. This is not what customers want. This is regulation-driven, but it's happening around the world. And uh, it's it's amazing to see. Get it while you can. A car that was not a hypercar. So the wonderful Cars movie, which came out 20 years ago, featured a 996 Sally Carrera. So it was this little Porsche and you know Pixar's. Sally Carrera was was a you know a star of the movie Cars, and Porsche made a one-off kind of uh, a brand new kind of replica of it or homage to Sally Carrera, and it sold. I know you, you saw it sold, and you, you could say the price is kind of is shocking. Two point three eight or six eight? I can't. Three point exactly. six. Three point six. Okay, dyslexia there. And three point six million. Of course, it was going for charity. a good cause. It was a charity auction. Do you know who bought it? Um, no, no, okay, I don't either. They, that was not announced. It did go for three point six million. It's going to go to charity. The whole amount is going to go to charity. I would bet that Porsche values this car at around two hundred thousand dollars for the purposes of taxes. Which means, you know, anything over two hundred thousand dollars, which is the value of this, it's a complete tax write off. So uh, it's not like someone really values this at three point six million dollars, but they get a three point four million dollar tax write down right which is off. pretty that's pretty substantial if you're you know if you make uh you know 20 million dollars a year which is probably what this person makes or more it's nice to have that write off i thought it was a pretty cool looking car some of the details they did porsche obviously the guys and gals i should say at porsche really got into this and added some little details in honor of the sally car and i, I thought it was a cool car it's great color and i thought it, i liked it a lot it was a, it was a seven speed manual, which I thought was very cool. 
the houndstooth interior and the wheels were really cool and it was it was a great homage and i'm sure they had an absolute blast making that car yeah uh, i i i guarantee they did had a special blue color that they call sally carrera blue they had some some of that blue in the interior some of the trim same blue uh, absolutely beautiful car it's and i didn't know sally had a tattoo and they actually yeah. put a tattoo emblem on the car on the back um, up underneath the hatch. I thought that was great. I, I had no, I didn't know Sally was a little avant-garde and had a tramp stamp. Tramp stamp. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, I already, I already liked her. Now I like her a lot more, but anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's funny cause it is a tramp stamp because it's on the back, but, uh, it only is visible when the spoiler raises up. So at 45 miles an hour or something like that, the yeah. spoiler raises up and there's that, there's that, uh, there's, tats, a, there's the a tramp stamp. Yeah, classic. That's so cool. Uh, the only other Pebble Beach intro that I kind of even noticed was the uh, the BMW M4. There's a 50 year model there. Of course, this this year is the 50th year of M, and so they had one of those. That's kind of cool. And uh, they also had the CLS. Which one is it? I think it was the CLS, uh, which was underwhelming version of the m4 we talked about that that was also there but for bmw uh, i kind of wish they'd done more uh had a more of a spectacular car you know something on the on the order all they did is put makeup on it they put makeup was all they they did was put makeup on the car and uh you know it's got some aftermarket parts you know some ladies would have but they did nothing to the performance of the vehicle. I, I just thought that was, you know, I know Ford's done the same thing with Mustang, 25th anniversary Mustang, and the vehicles do that. But if you're going to make it, you know, you put racing bucket seats in the thing and dress it up, give it something underneath the hood as well. You yeah. Know, that, that's just kind of my thoughts. I just, I was disappointed that there's nothing extra under the hood. Right. Uh, I mean, what would a bullet Mustang be? What would my bullet be versus a GT if I didn't have more horsepower? Correct. Yeah, you need that. And, uh, you know, they, they introduced uh, the, the CLS has been out, but um, the the 50 uh, year anniversary vehicle, uh, they unveiled that at the same meeting, the same year Pebble Beach meeting as the Porsche GT3 RS which was spectacular. Talk about getting overshadowed. This is getting sand kicked in your face when the when you're at the beach. This is just, you know, it's 50th year of and bring something, bring some game. You know, these two vehicles, I hate this. I mean, it's not, it's not two shades of lipstick on a pig, two different shades of lipstick on a pig. It's not that, but it's not impressive. And they should it's like, come on, guys, you're coming in here, bring some game. Yeah, I, I agree totally with you. I I started looking. Oh, that's cool. I like those colors. I like the badging. I like the interior. I like this and that. And I like. I kept waiting, and then the the article's over. No performance upgrades. I'm like, no, doesn't work for me. I was as an as an M guy. I'm a I'm a, I'm a huge M guy, as any listener knows. And I just was so underwhelmed. They've got between now and the end of the year to come up with something. But this is the big show. They didn't really have anything at Goodwood, and they didn't really have anything at Pebble Beach. Those are the two big shows of the year, guys. I think you missed your shot. I I think you know you got to have more. You know, just for the M people, even if you don't make it, even if it's just a concept, they should have done more. So, anyway, 
uh, we'll move on and uh, leave poor BMW alone. But um, before I'll we get to them. <laughs> before we get to to safety, uh, I saw a couple of personalized personalized plates. You know, we had a whole thing on this whole segment on this a while ago, but I saw a few that I just want to mention because they're pretty cool. I saw sushi, I saw sashimi, I saw with a C, and I saw with a K. And uh, with a I hope C, they're on rice burners. Uh, no, they sushi and sashimi were both on like minivan. One was like a Chevy Traverse, and one was a Honda Odyssey. And Weird. with a C and with a K were like Highlander and RAV4 or something. Now, you know, I have a son Carl, and he always has to say with a K, so I immediately sent the with a K to him. I have a sister Erica, same thing. So I said it to both of them. With a C, I said it to both of them too, because I said, "Hey, here's the other side of the argument." So those are the couple, you know, four uh, personalized plates I saw that were pretty cool. Yeah, but I haven't seen any cool plates down here lately. All right, so uh, ready for infant car seats? Yeah, let's talk about infant car seats. Cool. We'll just start off with you know, I like to kind of paint the picture of the data, what things are actually like out in the real world, and. Um, unfortunately, motor vehicle collisions kill more children, young adults than any other cause. So it's, it is a big issue. It's a big topic, but you know, in America, our cars are our freedom and we don't like to face the facts of actually how many people die a year on our highways. And in another talk, in one of our feature episodes, one of our listeners asked us to specifically address the increase in fatalities on our roads post COVID. Um, the numbers are going up again. Well, I think the thing to understand about kids, and I should say children, but kids is they're not scaled down adults. So, you know, a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, they're just not a miniature adult. And what I mean by that is their bodies are proportioned differently, especially infants. You know, him, infants have big heads. And we all know when you carry a baby, you got to carry their head because their head just is bobbling all over the place. They got big old bellies. Those big old bellies got a big old liver in them. Um, so their proportions, they've got big torsos, large abdomens and big heads and short little stumpy limbs. And then the, the kid kind of grows and stretches out, but they remained, they remain disproportionate to adults. You remember, I'll just re remind listeners in case you didn't listen to one of our earlier episodes that cars are tested around the hybrid three 50th percentile male crash dummy. That's how they're tested. So they do test children. But the cars don't have to necessarily pass everything the same way for children as they do adults. So when you now put your infant or child in a car, in a car that's, and they're not in a car seat, the vehicle is not going to perform specifically for that child. It's performing for a 50 percentile male adult. So that's why it is so important that they call it the CSS, the child safety seat, be utilized, and especially in infants. So you've got to use these things properly, but unfortunately, they're not used properly. But we know that NHTSA, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, has looked at the data. And if we do have a properly restrained child in a safety seat, there for an infant, they have a 71% reduction in risk of death, 71%. And for toddlers, it's 54%. I mean, you know, we all like to play odds. I mean, those odds are just, those are scary odds that think about that. If you don't put them in properly, those are just not good numbers. So they need to be properly installed. But unfortunately, you know, they've done a lot to try to improve safety 
the seat installation to try to make it easier with the latch system, which is called lower anchors and tethers for children. They've tried to make everything simpler and they'd hope it would reduce errors, but it hasn't, unfortunately. 91% of infant seats are still not installed properly. And 62% of all seats, including boosters, are not utilized properly. Now think about 91%. I mean, that's just, that's tragic. We got to do better than that. And that's why hospitals have programs that when you leave, they take you out to your car and they teach you how to use the car seat. They teach you how to install the car seat. They tell you where to put it. But still, even with all this education, you know, we can't get it right, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, I'll tell people, don't be Moses. You know why Moses wandered the desert for 40 years? Because he's a man, he wouldn't stop and ask for directions, okay? <laughs> <laughs> if there had been a woman leading them, the tribe of Israel, they would she would have stopped and asked for directions, and they would have wandered for 40 years. There were directions so, to find. There was 10 of them, and they were on tablets. But anyway, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so read the damn directions, okay? Install it properly. Watch a video. Do something, because only one out of 10 Americans is getting it right. Only one out of 10 parents are getting it right. That's astounding, Stefan. These are these are the most valuable people in your lives. If you're a parent, yes. there's no one more valuable than your children. The idea that you wouldn't take five minutes, um, yes, you know, put put away your TikTok and watch a YouTube video on installing it, or go someplace. Uh, you're right. Our local hospital has the the ability to make an appointment, and they'll they'll go through your car seat and install it for you. And unfortunately, for non-whites, there's even a higher rate of misuse and non-use across all um, non-Caucasians and unrestrained deaths from motor vehicle collisions in black and Hispanic children is almost twice that of white children. And mm. for white children is 26% unrestrained deaths. So 26%, one out of four kids that are killed are not restrained at all. And in, at all. Wow. And in black wow. and Hispanic children, it's 45% are not restrained. I mean, that's just, that's just awful. You know, and this is says if we could at least, get things slightly better we can save at least 25 children under the age of five a year i mean so fortunately even though it's still the number one cause of young adults and children you know children fortunately are pretty safe in a car because most people driving with children in the car you know they're not it's not the 2 a.m drunk it's not the speeding teenager unless they got the little brother sister with them but most people that have children in the car are driving a little bit differently. I know when I have, you know, when my wife's in the car, I drive differently because she grabs the dashboard all the time when I make her nervous. When I'm, you know, <laughs> she says tailgating. I just say I'm just drafting. But, you know, a little late breaking into a corner, hit the apex. She doesn't like that. But when I have, you know, so I change when she's in the car and then I've got other occupants in the car I change. So people tend to drive safer with children on board. But, you know, the latch thing is big. Let's talk a little bit about the four different car seat types. We got the rear facing and rear facing is for infants. And, you know, these also have a harness like a race car harness in there. And that cradles the child and it moves with the child. And the cars are actually designed. The seats actually do move, rotate a little bit. And that's to reduce the stress up to the cervical spine. You imagine infants got this big old floppy head. They're very prone to cervical spine injuries because, you know, mass equals momentum equals mass times velocity that big head's moving rear, rear facing are good to about one year old 
they do make convertible seats so they can start at rear facing and then they can move forward and there's even an all-in-one that includes the booster the other type is the forward facing and it also has a booster and the selection that you make for the child is really based upon age and size and and the size actually does matter with children so we need to really it's very important that the child is a match to the seat don't go put an infant in a forward-facing seat that's not appropriately sized and don't put a large toddler in an infant car seat because bad things are going to happen i mean like you said steve these are, are most valuable packages in the vehicle make sure they're in the right one and it's not much you know it's, you think about it you ask any parent that had an accident with a child an injured child they would pay any money in the world to not make that happen and the car seat's cheap you know keep them rear facing up to at least one year of age and they recommend up to three years of age if they'll tolerate it i mean it would have been so i know with our kids man i can't imagine trying to keep a three-year-old in the back seat but you know we the kids we grew up without seat belts and we had to learn to wear seat belts Kids these days grow up with seat belts, and you'll find kids telling their parents to put their seat belts on. No, yeah. no, no, don't go. My seat belt's not on. My seat belt's not on. So that's great. So we've they've learned they they will learn from relays that this is the norm. Wearing a seat belt is not the norm. So yes, they may scream and holler when you put them in their new seat for the first time, but they will get used to it. Don't cave in. Another important thing about an infant car seat is you need to register it. There are safety recalls and updates that occur with car seats, especially new designs. So if you register it, you know, you register your new TV, you register your new power tool, you register, register the car seat. Don't throw that away. No, with the, you mean with the manufacturer? With the manufacturer, exactly. Yeah. So if there are any recalls, you know, you're going to get them. So that, that is very important. But the, the one key, and you know, we're talking about nine out of 10 were erroneously installed read the directions, watch the video, get help, call the 1-800 number if you're having a hard time. If you're even having a hard time with finding the anchors on your car, go to your car dealer. There's No one's going to turn you away asking for help how to figure out your car seat. Hospital, if you've got a children's hospital, that's going to be your, one of your easiest resources to go to. But these are really key. And, and the other thing you do want to register is car seats expire. And one of our listeners asked, you know, why did, why would a car seat expire? Well, it has to do with plastics. So if you're a snow skier, you're a climber, a football player, anywhere it was, wears protective headgear, all plastics have a limit of lifetime where they will perform as designed. You get UV light, you get hot, cold, plastic degrades over time. It's not like metal. So they do have expiration dates. Um, so, you know, don't go buying a used car seat or keep it, you know, you, you've got a gaggle full of kids and you've still got the infant seat from the first kid you had that was 10 years ago. No, that car seat's expired. You need a new car seat. So do be aware of the expiration date and look at that as well. I'll tell a few stories. It's amazing over my career, the number of parents that I had as patients and the child is perfectly fine. You think about it, the child's in the back middle seat, restrained in his own Formula One type car seat with bolsters and harnesses, and he's attached. And there's nothing for the kid to hit in front of him except for the his 
His harness is going to slow him down or her down. Kids did always came out better than the adult. Now the kids that don't were the kids, the seat, the seat was improperly restrained. I had one child. Um, he was a toddler that was in his car seat and the mom had forgotten to put the seat belt on the car seat. She put him in the back, the middle, she lost control. She crashed. And the kid was found about 50 feet away from the car. Oh no. The kid was fully restrained in the car seat. He had some scratches on his uh, lower feet and his knees and his arms. He was otherwise perfectly fine because he was, it was this giant car seat he was strapped in. So the car seat just kind of bounced off the road through the grass and rolled, but he was perfectly harnessed inside of that thing. So he had a long deceleration. So he did fine, but you know, that's if he had hit something, he wouldn't have done so well, but you know, fortunately, you know, he, he did okay. And then I've also, you know, you talked about the car seat was the mom holding the baby. I had several early in my career. Don't remember any late, but early in my career, I had several infant fatalities that the mom had in her arms. And um, when, one baby, they actually had to extricate from the glove box. Oh, so it's just, it's, it's, you know, I, I tell, I don't tell these to be horrific, to gross you out. I tell us that, oh, we'll be fine. We're just going two miles down the road. I'm going to hold the baby. No, it's not fine. Okay. Oh, I'm just, I'm just going to make a quick run to the pack a sack. I'm not going to latch the baby. In. No, it's not fine. Always, always, always latch that baby in the seat appropriately. Don't let them, if they're screaming their brains out, either stop and go somewhere, but don't take them out to console them. You're cruising down the interstate. The baby's inconsolable. You want to quickly change the diaper. Don't do it. Stop the car. You know, all this, you never know when something bad's going to happen and you don't want to lose a child over not simply taking the time to stop, change it, put them back in their seat. So, I don't want to end on that bummer note, but I want to end on that note so that just to kind of reinforce the idea that go out there and check these seats. And, you know, and, and for parents, if you're letting your your grandparents or your babysitter or somebody take your children, make sure that they know how to take your car seat and install it properly. Go over with them. You know, don't assume anything. So, you know, when you're letting somebody else in your carpooling, make sure that they're properly restrained as well. One of the reasons, Stefan, and and I appreciate all of that, including that story, uh, which was horrific. But one of the reasons I think the lessons that you teach are so valuable is that it breaks us out of our complacency. And it's normal to live your life with the assumption that it won't happen to me. And you are a reminder that it does happen. To, it happens. I've been, okay, if it I, didn't happen to you, you wouldn't have a job. Okay. I've been, we have had two lightning struck by lightning twice now once our home 10 years ago three weeks ago a tree in my front yard and last year we got hit by a tornado so okay i've got some lottery numbers for you but you're right don't ever say it won't happen to me mm -hmm. don't say it exactly you know? and think about it well, only one out of ten people out there doing it correctly that's Listeners. that's the big takeaway yeah, I'm one, that's that's the takeaway yeah so all right well thanks for that and and uh i think that wraps it up but um what a great, a great safety lesson there. I hope anybody, if you're out there, a parent or, gra or grandparent, 
take these lessons to heart, go check your car seat, make sure it's up to date, all that stuff. So thank you again, Stefan. And that wraps up this, this episode. So thanks right. hit like, yeah. subscribe, all that yep. listeners, it helps us out. Send in your questions, check out the website, carsoncallpodcast.com. And um, we're going to address another listener question on automotive safety about why death rates are going up, fatalities, motor vehicle fatalities are going up in this country. And uh, we might do that next time. Sounds good. All right. Goodbye.